there's probably, I, I don't know how you feel, maybe, maybe you're here because you just feel legalistically obligated, but uh, I, I really enjoy worshiping in the house of the Lord with you. And to, you know, I don't always get to hear the congregation singing when I have the in-ears in, but that last song to get to hear you sing, you know, was, it felt like a little bit of what heaven's going to be like. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. So this is the last Sunday uh, where Pastor Pat is on his sabbatical. So all of your angry emails that you've been saving, you can unleash tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock because he's been waiting for them, I'm sure. I, I hope he comes back refreshed. Uh, in fact, I think we're not even live streaming this. So this we can say whatever we want this morning, uh, and he's not going to find out. So uh, welcome him back next week. Uh, he gave me the task of preaching, well, I think all of the, the, the guest speakers this summer have, had the, have been tasked with w- walking with Jesus. You know, so a text, a text that has been super encouraging in our walk with Jesus, our being the people who are speaking. And so that's an easy one for me. Uh, John chapter 4 is where we're going to spend this morning. And I would invite you, if you have your Bible, to open up, because we're going to read a lot of John chapter 4. Not all of it, but most of it. I would encourage you to read all of it later, but for sake of time, we're only going to read parts of it. But John chapter 4 radically changed my life. So I came into saving faith. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jason Wood. Uh, I'm just a member here, but I did serve in pastoral ministry for 18 years before moving back to Grand Forks to run Northland Christian Counseling. And so I used to preach on a regular basis, and so this is quite comfortable for me. Well, I came into saving faith when I was 18 years old. So I graduated high school from Red River and then went to a Bible camp where I met my wife. And uh, that's the first time we met, and we knew we were going to be happily married, and we are. We celebrate 20 years in October, so I know what you're thinking. Did you get married when you were 10? Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like, but no. Uh, yeah, so uh, she sent me texts. what are we going to do for our 20th? And I said, you think we're going to make it that far? And she did. <laughs> this was a month ago, and she, we'll, October 4th. So I met my wife there, and I met Jesus there. And, uh, and I started my discipleship journey. And we, we all, I would assume on a beautiful summer Sunday morning, I would assume all of you know Christ as your Savior. Perhaps one or two of you were dragged here by a spouse or a parent. But the vast majority of us probably know Jesus and love Jesus. And, and after conversion, you started your discipleship journey. Well, that wasn't any different for me. And I started my discipleship journey in a holiness church. So if you know anything about holiness churches... These are churches that don't drink or chew or go with girls who do. And we have this whole list of rules that we're not supposed to do. And so um, that's the discipleship journey I started on. And it was about 10 years later that, uh, you know, I'd read John chapter 4 a few different times. But about 10 years later, I read John chapter 4 again, and it radically changed my life. Uh, and, And so this has been my walk with Jesus how, how Christ has changed my life. So, so my life actually looks very similar to right after conversion, but my heart is very different in why and how I do it. So John chapter 4 is the woman at the well. And to give you a context of the woman at the well, Jesus' ministry has just started. 
So if you remember John chapter 3, he's, he's taught to Nicodemus. He's recently picked his 12 disciples. Um, he's, he's just started his miracle ministry, and he's very popular. He's so popular, in fact, the Pharisees start questioning who this carpenter from Nazareth is. And, and because of this, Jesus decides to go away for a bit, and they're going to walk through Samaria. And so him and his disciples literally go on a walk. So we're walking with Jesus this morning. And while he's on his way, he stops at a well in Samaria, and he meets a woman. And so we're going we're gonna to read that text. You know, one of the challenges of our faith journey is our call into sharing our faith. And, and we're all called to be evangelistic in our hearts. Now, we might not all be evangelists, but we're all called to share our faith. And if, if I'm just honest, now I know you see a gregarious person right now, but I'm actually a very, very deep introvert. And so being around people is exhausting for me. So to, even after church today, uh, I'll just be exhausted. And it's not because you've done something wrong. It's just how God knit me. It's how he made me. And so, so for me to share my faith with others is actually very ta- taxing. And perhaps, perhaps there's one or two of you who has more of an evangelistic gift, but the rest of us probably struggle with sharing our faith. And to make things worse, we probably know like one person who's really good at sharing their faith, and they make us feel bad. You know that person, uh, they're, they're sitting on a bus, and someone says, is that seat saved? And the person says, no, but I am. And then they lead that person to Christ, and then the bus has a revival, and then they drive to a crusade together. And then the next Sunday, the pastor puts them up front and says, tell us how great you are at evangelism. And the rest of us probably, if we're honest, struggle. A little bit, because nobody likes rejection. Do you like rejection? Of course not. Nobody likes rejection. So sharing our faith, there's a risk. But I want to, um, I want to challenge us this morning to maybe have a different framework for what it would look like to walk with Jesus, and what it would look like to share our faith. Uh, The 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 word evangelism in the Greek is just two words put together. Uh, The letters E U. An angel. So you know what an angel is. It's a messenger. An EU simply means good. In fact, um, in fact, that's still carried into the English lexicon. Eulogy, EU, means a good word. Eureka means a good discovery. And so evangelism in the Greek literally means sharing, bringing the message of the good news. You can do that. I can do that. And, and Christ does this. John chapter 4. Verses 6 through 9, we're going to take certain texts and read them of chapter 4, so I'd invite you to stay in your scripture or on your phone. Yes, your pastor said you can be on the phone right now. Uh, No angry birds, just John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Okay, so let's get the context. Jesus and his friends are on a walk, and he grew wearied. Isn't that encouraging? 
that Jesus grew wearied. He got tired, and so he sits down by a well, and there's a woman there. Now, what's curious about this is this is a well on the outside of the city. So there would have been a well in the town, but this one's outside the town, and so that should tell you something about this woman. She's not well-received in her community. In fact, we're going to find out later she's made some poor life decisions. But she's on the outskirts of town gathering water. And Jesus says to her, hey, could you get me some water? And she's shocked. Why is she shocked? Well, there's three reasons probably. This is only speculation, but I think it's wise speculation. There's three reasons why she's probably shocked. First of all, she's a woman, and he's a man. Now, history hasn't been kind to women. And this is a patriarchal society, an ancient Near East society, where women were essentially property. They didn't have landowner rights. They couldn't work. They couldn't, they couldn't care for themselves. And so their, their best bet was to get married and be cared for by a guy. And as such, many men saw women as second class. And so she's probably shocked that a man would talk to her. Second of all, she recognizes that he's a religious teacher. His, his outer garb would have revealed that he was a rabbi, or a teacher of the law anyways. And so she was probably shocked that a religious person would talk to her, a person who's made some terrible life decisions. And then probably third of all, and maybe the biggest reason of all, is she's a Samaritan and, she's a, and he's a Jew. Samaritans and Jews don't have anything to do with each other. And, and this isn't a, a study on Samaritans, but essentially you just go back to 750 B.C. when the exile happens, the Jews are taken, and some stay behind, and those intermarry, and they become the Samaritans. And so these are betrayers of Judaism. These are people who only have the first five books of the law, so they're keepers of the half-truth. And so Jews absolutely despised them. So she says... I'm just shocked that you would even talk to me. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and you would have given him, or and he would have given you, excuse me, living water. Okay, this is a big deal. In fact, she's surprised. We won't read the text, but she's surprised. She wants living water. She's not thinking in spiritual senses. He says, don't be shocked that I even talked to you. If you knew who was talking to you, you would ask for living water, and I would give it in abundance. Now, now we are a people that is blessed. We go, I bet you this morning you went to your faucet, and you turned it on, and none of you were surprised when water came out. Well, that's historically a new thing. Indoor plumbing is relatively new, and so for her, she had to go to the well on the outskirts of town, get gobs and gobs of water for bathing, for cooking, for, for washing clothes. And so getting water was quite cumbersome. And so he offers her living water, and she says, yes, please, I would, that would that'd free up five hours of my day. I'll take that. Jump down to verse 15. We'll continue in the narrative. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She says, give me some of that water, please. I would love to have it. And he says, I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about life-giving water, spiritual water, water that will soothe your soul. And now she realizes she's with someone special. She realizes that she's with a deep teacher of the law. She might even be with the Messiah. She kind of alludes to that later. We'll see that. And so she gets this thought. If I have one second to ask a question to the guy who might know the most about God, I'm going to ask him an important question. And what is the most important question? Is what I believe true? Am I doing this right? She says, the Samaritans say we have to worship on Mount Shechem. That's because they only had the first five books of the Bible, and that's where Abraham set up the first altar. And she says, but the Jews say we have to worship on that mountain. Which mountain are we supposed to worship on? That's a great question. Are the Catholics right? Are the Lutherans right? Are the Cottonwoods right? I don't know if that's how you say it. It's how I say it. Are we doing it right, God? And Jesus says, well, I'm going to tell you, it actually doesn't matter. This is going to blow your mind, church. And I thank you for being here this morning with me. It actually doesn't matter where you worship. It matters how you worship. And you're supposed to worship in spirit, so to be led by God's spirit and in truth, to be led by God's word. And so I think Cottonwood is right. Because we're, we're wrestling with the word. I think there's other churches in town that are right. We're, we're just going, what does God's word say about this? And he says, woman, I'm not advising any of you men to go home and greet your wife as Christ greeted this woman. Woman, although I said to her, you can call me the man. Man, I'll take that. Has none of the same connotations. Woman, go get your husband. She says, I, I don't have a husband. Do you catch the, the broken heart in that? I already told you she has no value to this society. The only value she has is ascribed to the man she's married to. She can't keep a marriage. We don't know why, but she's had five of them. The sixth guy says, I'm not marrying you. Go get your, go get your husband. And Christ says, I know, I know. I knew the whole time. I knew that you didn't have a husband. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She knew he was different, didn't she? That was a weird segue she had. She said, this is a prophet, this is something special. And she says, when Messiah comes, he'll make things right. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm him. Verse 27, the disciples, I love them. 
Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. You know, church, you are the woman at the well. I am the woman at the well. Maybe you've had five husbands, or maybe you're just a gossip. Maybe the man you're living with now is not your husband, or maybe you just struggle with greed or lust. You know, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all sit at the well outside the city waiting for the Messiah to come, and he's come and he's grabbed you. The Greek there for share a vessel, when he asks to share a vessel, synchroni means to literally share the same cup. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but back when I was a kid and you went to McDonald's, you had to go up and ask for a cup to get your soda. Remember that? Kind of like Chick-fil-A now. It's weird. I like to be able to do it myself. Well, when I was a kid, we would, my parents were cheap. I thought we were poor. I found out later we were just cheap. Um, We'd share one cup, me and my three siblings, we drank from the same vessel, and you'd have to go get the refill. Whoever got the refill got their choice. This is the same word. Jesus knows she's an outsider. He knows she's an outcast. He knows that she's been rejected, and he says, let's share a glass of water. You and I can do this. We can share a glass of water. We can meet people where they're at, can't we? We don't have to see them for the sin that they're in. We can see them for, for the call that Christ has. This is evangelism. Just bringing the good news. We get to see this beautiful picture in Matthew chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. It's just a couple verses because we're coming back to John. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus looks out at the people My wife and kids were at the state fair yesterday. Sea of people lost. As far as the eye can see, he looks out and he's moved with compassion. The Greek word there, you'll love it, splankna. It means he's moved in his bowels. Um, The bowels are the second brain, by the way. We, We in a Western society say, I love you with all my heart, but that's not accurate. We actually feel love where? In our bowels. Makes a terrible Hallmark card, though. So we moved it to the heart. But you know you get sick to your stomach. Jesus is sick to his stomach when he sees the lost. Are you sick to your stomach when you see the lost? He has compassion. He says, there's wolves seeking to devour. Don't pray for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're not going to run out of the lost. We're running out of workers, Jesus said. Years ago, we lived in Rugby, North Dakota, and we got this just dream house. We did. We were blessed with this beautiful custom-built home that had been in disrepair, and so we got it for a song, and we went to fixing it up. But in the backyard, there was this giant raspberry patch. I don't know if you know anything about raspberries. 
are basically a weed. They are. They just keep growing and overtaking you. But they're a flavorful weed. They're good tasting. And my wife says, I'm going to pick every one of those raspberries. Huge patch. And so every day she has the summers off. Every day she'd go in the backyard and pick raspberries and pick raspberries. In fact, we had a little two-year-old at the time. Judah boy, we called him, and he was one of those kids that we just felt like it was a win if, if he had underwear on. You know, he just wanted to be free all the time, and so he just, and he had this big belly, and he just, he walked around. Maybe you had one of those just, oh, he's got underwear on, that's a win, and, and he would go out in the raspberry patch, and he would pick raspberries, and his face looked like he'd eaten a bird or something. There's red all over and it was all done, and he would come out with his belly out, you know. It's just full of raspberries, and uh, he, he for probably 10 years wouldn't eat a raspberry. He just overdid it, you know. We, church, we don't need to be worried about other people's buckets full of raspberries. The harvest is plentiful. There's so many, we can't pick them all. Jesus says, this is what it's like. The, there's, so many ra- there's so many raspberries out there that you could go pick all day long and you won't get them. Before the end of that summer, my wife said to all the neighbors, come get some raspberries. Pick them yourself, all you want, because there's so many. There's not enough workers, Jesus says. He's moved with compassion. And guess who the workers are, church? You and I. Flawed, broken frustrating, disappointing people, myself included, God says, I'm calling you to be the messenger of the good news. Bring, bring the message of the good news. The good news is this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, and he sat by a well, and he said, share with me a cup of water, and he invited you into the living hope that is salvation, and now he says, now go into all the world and bring this good news. I'm not good at evangelism. I'm not. Don't like it. Don't want to be good at it. But I can meet people where they're at. Because Christ met me where I'm at. Uh, Go back to John chapter 4, verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Well, this has to be a typo. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told, me that I, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said we believe for what we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We have the first missionary right here. We do. This woman of ill repute goes back to town And I'm going to tell you something, she has to be changed somehow because the men of the city hear her and they go and they believe because of what she says and then they see it for themselves. She brings the good news. You can do this. You're just a woman at the well. You're just one beggar telling another beggar where you found the food. That's it. That's it. You can do this. I can do this. 
But you have to sit at the well. You have to meet people where they're at. You have to be agents of grace. You can't make external judgments that keep you from knowing the heart. It's really easy to be racist until you meet somebody of that color and find out they're people too. And we do this. We theologically do this. We judge. And we don't sit down and have a glass of water. And we're not messengers of the good news. Years ago, back at that place, rugby, excuse me, we, we had this, uh, we, we took over this church that had gone through a split. There might have been 15 people on a Sunday morning, seriously. And my wife and I and two kids were four of them. And we just started preaching the gospel and trying to love on people, and, and, and God brought growth. And he brought uh, new people to town, but he also brought new people to faith. It was really an exciting time. And one of these people was a guy by the name of Steve. Steve was an interesting character. So his wife came to church. He didn't. And she was very godly, and she prayed for him all the time. And, uh, and uh, one Sunday, she finally got him to come to church. And Steve, Steve was a rough character. He was a truck driver. He wasn't a person of faith. He'd felt judged by the church his whole life. And he came to church, and then the next week he came to church, and then the next week he came to church, and a couple months went by, and he talked to me after service, and he said, I, I, I need to get baptized. And he came into saving faith. And just because people loved him, that's it. People, he came to church, he heard the word, people loved him, and he came into saving faith. But that's not the end of the story. <clears throat> so I, had, I got a chance to baptize Steve. Uh, he was probably in his 60s, and he became one of our most faithful members. He was a servant. He had a servant's heart, so he'd volunteer, he'd do anything. And one Sunday, the church by now had grown pretty large, so it was always kind of hard to see new people. And one Sunday, this guy came in, and probably a guy in his late 50s, early 60s, he came in with his wife and a couple adult children and never seen them before in my life. And so after service, I, I made sure I wanted to grab him and introduce myself. And, and so I, I said, I just want to welcome you to church. And he, he said, I'll never forget it. He says, uh, that was the, the best bleeping talk I've ever heard, he said. He didn't say bleeping. Uh, Oh, I don't let the lightning strike. I'm standing too close. Can you say that in church? But this is the kind of guy he was. And so I said, oh, well, he must be new to the faith. He wasn't even new to the faith. He was checking out our church. And so I said, well, why did you, why did you decide to check out our church? And he says, well, I drove by last Sunday, and I saw Steve going into your church. And I figured any church that would let Steve go there would probably let me go there. I had a chance to baptize him and his wife and his adult son. I got a chance to do the wedding for him and his live-in girlfriend, and I got to be a part of their small child growing in the faith. It was super exciting. And you know who did it? Well, the Lord did it. But he did it through Steve coming to church. We're just called to be messengers of grace, agents of grace. One beggar telling another beggar where to find the food, just like Christ did, where he sat down, he says, I don't care that you've sinned. I don't care that you've fallen short. In fact, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it isn't a shortage of raspberries. It isn't a shortage of harvest. It's a shorter, it's shortage of workers. And so let me encourage you. 
to just walk with Christ, to share your faith, to sit down and have a cup of water, maybe even literally have a cup of water with someone, to meet people where they're at and invest in them and then invite them. And you can just invite them to church even. You can cop out. You don't even have to tell them about your faith. You can say, come to church and, and maybe, maybe the pastor will do it. That's fine. But I would invite you to share what Christ has done with you because you are a missionary to the Samaritan village. Years ago, and I'll finish with this, the worship team can come up. Years ago, I was serving in the Army Reserves at the time. I wasn't super um, patriotic. I needed college money. And I signed up because they would pay for college, and then the war started. The first war in Iraq, uh, not not in the 90s, but the early 2000s. <clears throat> and, uh, and I got mobilized to go to Iraq. And I was a combat engineer. And this is, uh, I don't know if you, know if you know combat engineers. Combat engineers are the guys who do explosives. And the reason why I was a combat engineer is because they would give you a $5,000 sign-on bonus if you would be a combat engineer. And the reason why is because those are the guys who do all the explosives in Iraq. This is just, my brain wasn't formed yet. I just thought $5,000 seemed good. And so we had just gotten married, and they, they, shipped us down, um, they shipped us down to Southern California to a desert. And we did three weeks of desert survival. Uh, just not dying in the desert. That was the goal. Is uh, if you get lost or if you get separated, if you're out there in the desert, you need to learn how to survive. And if you took me to the desert right now and asked me to help you survive, you would be in trouble. I remember none of it. Not one thing other than I was hot all day and cold all night. It was terrible, and I wouldn't survive the desert, I guess. I learned that. But there was one thing, one thing that I took away, and it's what I would invite you to take away today. Our instructor said, there's one sin of the desert. You want to know what the one sin of the desert is? Not telling others where you found the water. Well, that's the sin of our faith. If, if, we, just, if we find the living water and we don't share it with the parched land around us, that's not pleasing to the Lord. And so I'll invite you. Don't hold on to the living water for yourself, but share it. Bring it to the world around you. This was how John 4 radically changed my life. If I would stop living a life full of rules and start seeing people as the lost, I could bring what I had found, which is living water in which I would never thirst anymore. So let me encourage you, you can do this. You don't even have to do drastic changes. You, you don't have to revamp anything other than your heart towards the lost. They're just the woman sitting at the well waiting for the truth of the gospel. And you can bring that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what an encouraging text. I didn't feel any judgment in that. It wasn't this, you have to be good at sharing our faith. It was much more just meet people where they're at and allow the Holy Spirit and the gospel message to change lives. And so for Cottonwood, Lord, as we go out into the city in a couple of weeks, that is our mission. 
to bring the good news, to bring the water that will never thirst anymore, to share the gospel message of grace that once I was lost, but now I am saved. I, I was a beggar who found the food, and here's where you find it, and we can do that. And so I pray for divine appointments this week for each person here, that they get an opportunity to share what you have done in their lives. Not so that cottonwood can grow, but so that the kingdom of God can grow with the lost being found. We thank you for everything you've done, Lord, but most of all, the gift of life that you bought for us on the cross. You died for my sins, and I thank you for that. Now help me to live for you. It's in Christ's perfect and holy name we pray these things.